Well, we're continuing our identity sermon series, and as I do that, I want to quickly review the things that we have talked about the last two weeks. And we need to do that review because today's sermon, today's topic, builds on the foundations that were laid in those two sermons. So two weeks ago, I introduced you to identity truth number six. And the truth is, in Christ, you are God's friend. In Christ, your relationship with God has been restored. You have been reconciled to your God. Paul explains it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. He says, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Verse 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Verse 9. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now, now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Who are you? In Christ you are God's friend. Jesus came at just the right time, died for you while you were still a sinner, and turned you from God's enemy into God's friend. And that truth, the truth that you are God's friend, leads directly to identity truth number seven. And the truth is, in Christ, you are an alien and a stranger in this world. The truth is you can't be a friend of this world and also a friend of God. In Christ, you've been called out of the world and you've been given citizenship in a new nation. You've been given a citizenship in heaven. And since you are no longer a stranger to God, and since you are no longer alienated from God, you can look forward with confidence and with great joy to being welcomed to your true home. You're home with your father. You're home with your king. And as we talked about last week, in the eyes of the world, that makes you strange. It makes you unique. It makes you stand out. It makes you even seem weird. And that's exactly the way it should be. In fact, that's the way it must be. Because this world is not your home. You're an alien and a stranger here. So you shouldn't look, and you shouldn't sound, and you shouldn't think, and you shouldn't behave like the natives around you. Because you're from a different kingdom. And since you're from a different kingdom, you should look and sound and think and behave like your king. 
And when you do that, that looks weird to the natives. I want you to know that this isn't a call for strangeness, just for strangeness' sake. It's not a call to be weird for weirdness' sake. No, God calls us to be unique. God calls us to stand out from the citizens of this world because when we start conforming to this world, when we start assimilating into this world, when we start looking and sounding and thinking and behaving just like this world, when we go native, we lose our ability to be effective in God's mission to this world. We lose our ability to be ambassadors to the world. And that brings us to identity truth number eight. And the truth is, in Christ, you are God's ambassadors to the world. You are God's ambassadors to this world. In Christ, you are an authorized messenger, an authorized messenger of God to this world. You are God's representative to this world. God has entrusted you. He's entrusted you as his unique friend and his adopted child to be his ambassador. In Christ, that's who you are. So let's talk for a minute about what it means to be an ambassador. I want to give you just four characteristics of what it means to be an ambassador. What what do ambassadors do? What does it mean to be someone who is a representative of someone else? So here's characteristic number one. An ambassador is a citizen of one country who's living in another country. And he isn't there to assimilate into that country. He has no intention of ever becoming a citizen of that country. No, an ambassador is a resident alien. For example, the United States ambassador to Russia for just a couple of more months because he just resigned is John Huntsman. Ambassador Huntsman is a U.S. citizen. He lives in Moscow, and he has no intention of ever becoming a Russian citizen. An ambassador is a resident alien. You are a resident alien. Your citizenship is in a different country, and you're living in this one. And you should have no intention of ever becoming a citizen of this country. That's characteristic number one. Characteristic number two of an ambassador. An ambassador is a representative of his or her ruling authority. And also an ambassador of the people of his country. Again, for example, Ambassador Huntsman isn't in Moscow representing his own interest. No, he's in Moscow representing the interest of the U.S. government. He's representing the interest of the U.S. people. He's representing our interest. That's who you are. You represent your God. You represent your people. You represent people of God. That's who you are. Third characteristic of an ambassador is that they're a messenger. And they're a specific kind of messenger. They're a messenger of the one who has commissioned them. Again, Ambassador Huntsman is just a conduit. He doesn't make policy. 
That isn't his job. His job is to relay the policies of the U.S. government to the people and the government of Russia. But not only does an ambassador speak for his or her authorities, they also are expected to embody. They're expected to exemplify. They're expected to live out, to personify the, the, the values and the principles of the country that they're representing. See, ambassadors are on display. They're closely watched. They're a visual representation of the country they represent. The people of the host country. They draw conclusions about the ambassador's country, about the ambassador's people, about the ambassador's leaders. They draw conclusions based on the actions and the words of the ambassador. Ambassador Huntsman's in Russia embodying America to the Russian people. You are in this strange country embodying the values, embodying the thoughts, embodying the principles of your country and of your king. As an ambassador, you speak for your king. As an ambassador, you speak for your people. And as an ambassador, you embody the values of your king. That's who you are. Finally, an ambassador enjoys the full support. An ambassador enjoys the full backing and protection of the one who commissioned them. Ambassador Huntsman knows that his government has his back. He won't be left on his own. Yeah, he's just one man, but he has the full weight and the force of America right behind him. And that's who you are. You have the full weight and force and protection of your God right behind you as you represent him to this world. That's kind of a technical explanation of what an ambassador is and what an ambassador does. Now I want to make it a little bit more personal and bring up the next picture. It's a little dim. Hopefully you can see what it is. Um, how many people immediately knew what this is a picture of? All the rural people. If, they, if you can see it, you know what it is. It's a picture of six students have their back to the camera and they have on their FFA jackets. And for people who know anything about the FFA, you see that jacket and you immediately know that that's what it is. The jackets that these six students are wearing were purposely designed years ago to make those wearing them stand out. There's no mistaking it. They were designed to make the people wearing them unique, to make them different, maybe even appear a little weird. See, these students and all those who wear the FFA jacket are representatives. They are ambassadors. First, they're ambassadors for the entire FFA organization. That's why that logo is in the black, on the back. And it's bright and yellow and it's big. And they are ambassadors of the state of New Mexico. That's why the state they are from is written in big yellow letters on the back of the jacket. And these particular students are ambassadors of Moriarty, New Mexico, and the Moriarty schools. That's why their school name is also boldly displayed on the back. And finally, they're ambassadors of their family, which is why their names are stitched on the front of the jacket. 
I was in FFA back in the dark ages. I wore a jacket like that. Blue denim, big FFA logo on the back, New Mexico written, Cloudcroft written underneath that, and Walter Lane stitch on the front. And I can distinctly remember my ag teacher, Mr. Vaughn, when he gave us our jackets when we were freshmen in high school. I can distinctly remember him impressing on us, impressing on me the importance of my behavior whenever I was wearing that jacket. He said, your behavior is important because when you're wearing that, these aren't exactly his words, that distinctively weird jacket, there's no doubt in anybody's mind who you are representing. There's no doubt whose ambassador you are. Now, Walter, you're an ambassador of the FFA. Walter, you're an ambassador of New Mexico. Walter, you're an ambassador of Cloudcroft. And most importantly, Walter, you're an ambassador of the Lanes. When I had that jacket on, there was no doubt who I was representing. Which makes you wonder what I was thinking. What I possibly could have been thinking when... I walked into a store in Kansas City at the National FFA Convention and I took a paperback book off the shelf and I stuck it inside my yellow corduroy jacket, I mean my blue corduroy jacket, and I walked out the store without paying. What was I thinking? And as I was walking down the sidewalk and a tap was on my shoulder and I turned to see a store detective... I was about to discover what an epic failure I was as an ambassador. Things happened quickly. I was turned over to the Kansas City police, and they knew because of my distinctive blue jacket exactly where to take me. I was about to meet with every group that I had let down, representatives, good representatives of every group I had let down. So first I was taken to the national FFA officials and they expressed their disappointment in me because I had let them down. And I have to admit it, that didn't really bother me that much because I didn't really know them. They're just kind of nameless, faceless guys. But then they took me to the New Mexico FFA officials who took their turn to express their disappointment in me because I had let them down. But they also expressed their surprise at what I had done. And that's when it became more painful because it became more personal. You see, those representatives knew my dad. And they knew what kind of man my dad was. And that's why they were so disappointed and surprised at what I had done. And then the New Mexico officials took me to Mr. Vaughn, who was not only my ag teacher, but he was a family friend. And he didn't have to say a whole lot for me to be able to feel the weight of his disappointment that had let him down and the school down and the town down. And as painful as all of those meetings were, they were nothing compared to what I knew was coming. I was going to have to face my dad. You know my dad. My dad wasn't going to beat me. He wasn't even going to yell at me, but boy, I knew just how deeply disappointed he would be. Disappointed that I went native. Disappointed that I didn't represent 
his values, my family's values. You see, it's one thing to be an ambassador of a big country, or maybe even a big organization, or maybe even a state or a school, but it's completely different when you have been commissioned by your father and by your friend to represent him and his family. And in Christ, that's who you are. You have been commissioned by your father. You have been commissioned by your friend to be his ambassador to the world and to be his family's ambassador to the world. You don't have to wear a blue corduroy jacket because you have been distinctly clothed with Christ. That's who you are. You've been commissioned to take your father's mission, your friend's mission, his mission of peace and reconciliation to the world. That's who you are. You've been commissioned by God to help turn his enemies into his friends. I want you to listen to what Paul has to say about being God's ambassador to the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. He says, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Verse 17, he goes on and says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's powerful stuff. Let's break it down a little bit more. See, Paul starts out by reminding us that our identity, that our identity is different than the identity of those who live in the world. Paul reminds us that we are who we are because of what Christ did. And he says, because Christ died for us, since Christ died for us, we no longer live for ourselves. We no longer represent ourselves. No, instead we live for him. We live for the one who died so we can truly live. And Paul goes on to say, not only did Christ die for us, he recreated us. In him we've been made new. The old us, the alienated us, the dead us, the enemies of God we once were, all of those are now gone. We're new creatures. We're new creatures, no longer alienated, no longer enemies. We've been reconciled to our God. 
And it's Christ who has reconciled us. It's Christ who has restored our friendship to our God. So we now have this new identity. We're the adopted children of God. We have this restored relationship. We are friends of God. And our new identity, God's children, and our restored relationship, God's friends, those have given us a new responsibility. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's made us his ambassadors. Who are you? You are ministers of God's reconciliation. Let me ask you a question. Do we live in a world that needs to be ministered to? Do we live in a world that needs to be reconciled to its God? Las Vegas shooting, 58 dead. Orlando shooting, 49 dead. Sandy Hook Elementary, 27 dead. Sutherland Springs Church, 26 dead. El Paso, 22 dead. Stoneman Douglas High School, 17 dead. And I could unfortunately go on and on. The world needs ministry. The world needs peace. The world needs God's reconciliation. You are resident aliens in a world that needs to be called back to its God. And that's your identity. You are God's ambassadors. God is making his appeal to his enemies through you. He's making his appeal through us. And why would he do that? Well, who better to share the message of reconciliation than those who were once God's enemies? But now, because of Jesus Christ, are his friends. There's something you need to know about our God. See, our God has every right. He has every right to wage war on his enemies. Those are within his rights. But instead of waging war, our God, our king, has instead chosen to send his children, chosen to send his friends, chosen to send his ambassadors to the world to offer peace, to offer reconciliation. Not to wage war, but to bring peace and reconciliation. And we have a powerful message. We have a powerful message because we have a powerful king and we have a powerful God. And we have a powerful message because we've been given the power of the Spirit. But we also have a powerful message because we have a powerful story to tell. And the story we have to tell is of our changed lives. See, the power of our appeal comes from our own changed lives. When we live out our identity, when people look at us and can say, the old is gone, the new is here, that's when our message resonates. That's when our message begins to change the world. That's when our message begins to bring peace and reconciliation. Because that's our story. That's who we are. We are the reconciled. The reconciled who serve our God, who serve our Father, who serve our friend, who so loved us and who so loves the world that he gave his one and only Son 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So in Christ, who are you? You're an ambassador of God. You've been entrusted to bring his message of peace and reconciliation to this hostile and foreign world. That's who you are. Let's pray. Father, help us bear witness to the world. Bear witness to your love. Bear witness to your power. Bear witness to your truth. Father, help us to bear witness not only with the words we speak, but in the lives we live. And Father, with the love that we show. We pray this, Father, in the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So my challenge to you is to go and minister to the world for your king. My challenge to you is to go and minister to the world like your king. My challenge to you is to go and bring his message of peace and reconciliation to this hostile world. Go and be God's ambassadors. Let's stand and sing.